Hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And we welcome you to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please visit womenover70.com and consider joining Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Members enjoy monthly programming and prob probing discussions, so we hope to see you there. And today we're, we're excited to be in conversation with Ria Zakic. Ria is uh, 88. She's widowed and resides in a Christian senior community in Santa Ana, California, where she teaches Bible study, serves as editor of the newsletter, plays ukulele and sing-alongs for the residents, uh, and other things. Ria leads experiential workshops on community building and healing. Now, Ria's relationship with God deepened in her 30s when she was questioning her life's purpose, and a mysterious voice ailment led to two operations and months and months of silence. So unable to communicate verbally with her family, Rhea created a board game, The Ungame. Show it right here. I got that upside down. Yes, The Ungame, which she describes as a tool that invites open, honest sharing of feelings and experiences in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. And now, 50-some years later, the Ungame has been called the world's most popular communication game, over 5 million sold, translated into 14 languages, and available in several versions. And for the past 40 years, Ria has led workshops and seminars, over 500 now, on topics such as prayer, discovering your purpose, and inner healing. And she's written two spiritual autobiographies, the title of the most recent is He Called Me Ria. <laughs> so welcome, Ria, to Women Over 70. Thank you. So let's begin with your, your most recent book, uh, He Called Me Ria. And just tell us, what's the story behind the, the name and behind what, you, your, your, what the book is about? Well, the story of the book part is that as I was aging, a couple of years ago, I decided I need to right? Uh, I guess you could call it a spiritual biography, but I wanted to write down the, like a trail I had been upon that I couldn't see until I got older, but I started listing the people and the places where my life changed. Okay. Now, all through my life, I've met certain people like, I want to be like them. So I kind of study in that direction and I meet someone else. And so I wanted to get that put in a book and I found someone who would write it because I myself am not a writer. Not a writer. I am not a writer. I'm not even a reader. And so I found this very well. She found me and she put the story together. The way we work together was that she's in Indiana. I'm in California. I had led a retreat for her church in Indiana. She said she was a writer and she wanted to capture my story. So she sent me a question, sort of like an ungame question, every two weeks. And I would, when it came, I would write a response to that. So I was actually surprised when it finally was printed and sent to me. And it was all the story, all the answers I had given. <laughs> it and, and, then, oh, and, and I forgot to say why I called it, but I did. 
I told the story of a time in my life when I went to so many different groups. I'd see a group advertise for a topic or a conference, and I would go, and I went to this very shady-seeming group in a back room, and um, a lot of people that looked like might be mis misfits, and I, I felt strangely comfortable. And the leader led a, a meditation where he had us close our eyes, go to a, like a beach or alongside the lake, and have us look up and see G coming toward us. Now, I had never wasn't raised in the church, so I didn't know church words as an adult, even. And but I, I had heard of Jesus. I was active in my church, but well, today Jesus talked to church. I had I always prayed to God, prayed with me, and I felt God guided me. But when I saw this figure in my imagination, I knew this person. And he knew me, and we ran into arms and hugged. And it was kind of electric to me. And I thought, you know, I've known him all along, but I didn't know his name. But when he embraced me, he said, bless you, Rhea. Well, my name is Marilyn. And I thought, wait a minute, I know you, and you know me. And I never forgot that, and it faded. But I found out later when I met a woman who was Greek. She said, you know, the Rhea in Greek means flowing stream. And I had been writing about letting go like a flowing stream in my journals. So I named. And years now I've been retelling. That's lovely. <laughs> lovely. Yes. yes. So, so you are famous, Rhea, for the ungain, mm -hmm. which is an unusual kind of name or title for a game. Tell us uh, about this story. I know you've told this story hundreds of times um, on national television and many different places, but tell our tell our audience. I want to show it in the bigger box, which is Ooh. inboard. Ah. <laughs> Does that show up backwards? That's fine. No, yeah, great. Right. Yeah. It's actually a, a game board game. Oh, it's a game. Uh, that was the original one. It wasn't until video games came out that store owners did not want to take up a lot of space in their shelf for games. We, we developed pocket games. But um, the story behind it is, as you said in the introduction, about having a throat ailment. And it was mysterious to me at the time because I didn't understand what the doctor was saying. All I knew was that I had to be, or I could bleed to death after these, and not know it. They had done something with my vote. So in that three months of silence, which locked me out of all of the activities I was in, mm. I'd gone to Watts, which is outside of Los Angeles, after the huge riots. I had done so many things for God. I didn't understand why I was suddenly a mute. But in the quietness, when I finally accepted, they never talked. That was after screaming inside. I just decided to 
right, try to write what I was thinking or feeling. But people didn't linger with a mute. You know, they might come up and say, hi, Bria, how are you doing? While I was writing down, not very well, I think it died. They were over there talking to somebody else. So I thought, people and my husband, sons, to sit down with me because nobody knew what to do with me. I just waved and walked away. And so I stayed up one night and wrote questions that I wished I could ask. Like my kids coming off of school, I would have liked to have said, oh, your day. But I couldn't say that. And I couldn't t talk to my husband, who also uh, often walked away loved writing. But um, I got the idea of writing questions we were sick and asked. I wrote questions I wish people would ask me mm -hmm. because they were ignoring me and thinking they were probably doing me a favor. But I'm in here, <laughs> same person. So. Mm. And the only way I could get people to linger is to create a board game for people to sit down and know that they're going to take turns, know that other people have a turn. And uh, so it's called the end game. It looked like a game. The road of life where rocks actually and looked like a game, but it ain't a game. <laughs> well, how did it get the attention of of uh, five million people? Well, it, it, nothing that I knew how to do, that's for sure. I was making, well, I heard with a friend who was a teacher, and she said, we need to do something with this. Well, I didn't know what to do. I was not a business person. I knew nothing about printing or publishing, and 50 years ago, it was still, you'd go to a printer and he would be doing typesetting, right. one note or letter at a time. But I was not a business person. I would make them by hand for people who would say, he, I enjoyed this. I learned more about my husband in 20 minutes than I've learned in 20 years. <laughs> and the husband would say, I did too. And kids would talk with them parents as we played. And of course, I could play because I could draw a card, show it to them. Then I could write my answer and they did walk away. So it was a game. And after I had made about a hundred by hand, we were taking eight hours of peace because I would be painting rocks with a hopper, creating my own dice, or cutting, cutting wood. And <laughs> One time I spoke, I was invited to come and not speak. Teacher wanted to show her students, and they were medical students, I think, and uh, they were psychologists. So I had all these handmade games, and they all wanted one. And I thought, ah, oh, this is And there were 70 people that I had now orders for. <laughs> and I tried to mass produce them by going to Goodwill Industries, having them printed on paper, tried to glue it to cardboard, cardboard. And I remember I was got really mad at God because I thought that this idea had come from God. 
And so I remember taking this one that curled like a big potato chip and the glue that I used to put the paper and the cardboard soaked through and made it bleed into colors. I went out to my curb with a trash barrel and I remember thinking, okay, God, if you want this out there, you do it. <laughs> and I threw away all my colored rocks. I threw away my question card. I thought, I don't know how to do this. I didn't have any connecting people. And so, but I didn't know until a few days later that a little boy saw it out of the trash barrel. Fished out the colored rocks, went down the street to where he lived. I knew nothing about this. This woman, well, this little boy had lost his father six weeks Found this out later, and he hadn't talked since that time. His mother would go to work early in the morning, and this old 10 year old boy didn't go back to school. So was unaware. She said, there was a strange little warped board on the floor. He was sitting there, she, um, and he talked for the first time. Um, mm -hmm. So she became a spokesperson for this thing. It was no box. And eventually, a man called me and said, I work with a lady named Blanche. She's a nurse, and her little son under this and the girl. I think you should market it. And I wrote back to him. I had gotten 26 rejections for every game company because there was never a game that dealt with feelings or beliefs or experiences. It was the first of its kind. So that man mortgaged his home. And said, I think, if you want to do it, take it. I've, I don't know what to do. Well, he retired after 35 years producing the end game. And now produced in Michigan by another company. But it was all out of my hands. I did not know how to do any of this. But Another, oh, that's the reason I wrote my book called Everybody Wins. That story of how ignorant I was about everything. <laughs> and uh, it, it was one time was required in most schools and counseling centers. I know my And he was, his experience was that he was a never done anything like this either. He was a truck driver, did you say? Yes, uh, for sparkles water. So he had ne never done anything like that. I had never done anything. We didn't get attorneys. We didn't know how to write out <laughs> ownership. We wrote things in pencil, and I still have some of the pencil things. Were, he said, well, if, if I ever recover what I took from my mortgage, um, maybe I'll, we can work out a deal where I can give you dollars for each game or something. So that, we functioned with that all these years. Wow, that's amazing. Is it still in production, Maria? Yes. It, still in the production. company 
the company in, in Michigan did not produce it. And to meet them a couple of years ago, um, when it was the California company sold. And uh, during the pandemic, the company was shut down. Thought it would never revive. But a couple months ago, I got the news that they're back. And, and it's never been advertised. This is the incredible thing that I can't take credit for. It was all word of mouth. People come to California from all over the country, all over the world. Without my knowing it, they would see it in a book that years take it back to Australia and Iceland. And I wouldn't know about that until I would get a letter. No computers in those days, no cell phones. <laughs> but a letter, handwritten. You know, Ria, the first card I drew from the my pocket game says, what do you think is your purpose in life? Miss mm -hmm. Ria, what is your purpose in life now as you are in your late 80s? In some ways, my purpose has always been the same. As a child, I wanted to be a teacher. I was I would babysit all the kids and loved teaching them things. But the problem I had was I was a reader myself. I failed so many tests and got through high school. I I would hear the stories or read the stories. What I learned was never what the teacher asked in a test. And so it took me about 35 years to learn how I learned. Not from print. And but what do you do if you think you're only a teacher but you don't even go to school? Went to school with me, didn't go to college. Myself in the ages, being camp director. Up retreats, learn together, not be new things. I wanted to hear what other people say. And so I think I, I still like the teacher. And my subject is currently is community building and not as uh, portable as I used to be, quite uh, as more local. Um, Helping people find things and accept and delight in the variety and gifts. So I, I'm always thinking about unity. Mm -hmm. You know, you describe your your work as experiential. So how how do you can you give us an example of kind of how you run a workshop or a seminar? I always create my own material based on the invitation I give. Like, what, what you, as a whether it's a church or an organization, what do you want to accomplish or change? What do you think your group needs? So then I take whatever the answer and I design some steps that I think would help get people closer. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Spend a lot of time with that, but delight in it, and I feel like it inspirations in my mind the next day or so. I have it, and so 
the experiential part is first as I aged and got to know women's groups and other kinds of groups. Not always, but since age 35 or 40, I've been a church, not raised in the church. But I noticed that when women would have Bible studies and we would read something and fill out blanks or take notes or just how far the city was from that city or what year was that. And I thought, the Bible is saying we can do things. Why are we just talking about it? After years and years of learning from people in Bible studies, I thought, I'm going to set some up for I called for several years my retreats, laboratories. If we're going to talk about what Jesus said we could do in healing, all right, lay the book down. Let's figure that out. Let's practice. And um, I found an organization that had people. You leave your Bibles at home. You practice living in the kingdom. I love that. For 40 years, I went twice a year. Eight days of silence, no phones, no newspapers, just being in whatever surrounding was. And so I people ask me, or they give me books to read. I say, I don't really read. I can't read. And probably if 80 years ago there were tests for kids who had trouble reading, mm -hmm. I probably would be ADHD or some level of the spectrum. But who cares? I've I've gotten through life. I tell people I study, but not through books. Mm -hmm. I could I could sit and look at an anthill for an hour and learn something about life. And so the experiential part is and practice doing what we just read. And so they're different. <laughs> so you I just had to make a note. I thought that was so lovely. <laughs> Go ahead, Kel. Your um your sense of spirit spirituality, it seems, has carried you through all these years. It it has. I like I say I wasn't raised in the church, but I was hearing about God, and the, my neighbor took me to a church that I stayed in for 45 years. My, my kids went. But it wasn't a church that said, you know, are you born again or salvation? Mm -hmm. So those words were not part of my vocabulary. But I I, I took risks. You know, I had an early Bible study, very ignorant. But I would hear that God would guide you. Okay, I want to test things. If I hear something like that, okay, I'll do something I don't know how to do. And that has been an incredible way to live. I, <laughs> if I feel a sense that I should get involved, I don't have to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. I can just say, okay, God, what on earth do I do here? And I just started that with when the riots happened in Watts. 
first big riot in the country. And I was raising little kids, and I thought the world. I had no idea what we'd be living through now. But that was major to me at that time. And I thought, mm-hmm. I've got to go and see what I can do. And people say, you know, are you a or are you a kid? No, I'm somebody who cares about the kids. Or go and just say, okay, God. And I worked there on the Doors would open, people would appear in my, and it unfolded. I'm wondering, what what would you tell young children or younger children who have have a, a uh, who find that it's very difficult to read and to take tests? What, what would you, having having made your way as successfully as you have, what would you well, do? Oh, okay. I think I have noticed that in the school, well, part of the pandemic, I don't know what school is going through now, can't imagine, but, you know, they discovered different styles of learning. And I, re- I remember noticing articles or visiting a school and seeing the classrooms were made up with, they obviously knew that sometimes an object lesson worked better than having somebody read something and think they've got it. Mm-hmm. So I'm a hands-on person, mm-hmm. and I think they've made strides in that. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Some people will say to me, "Well, do you have ADHD, or do you are you on some spectrum?" I don't care. I got. I got here. That's right. I love that. Great, right? If I have an ailment or something, somebody was. If well, at age eighty-eight, I'm different than I was at fifty in the fact that if I had an ailment, I don't know all about it. Well, now I don't really care about it. It just hurts, or it doesn't hurt. Or it helps when I take this, you know. But, uh, Tell us a bit more about your your life in the your senior community, and you, you're so it seems so engaged in many things and a leader. What what uh, tell us about that? Yeah, it's very different. My engagement here is a little different from when we lived in our house for fifty years. My husband, who died four years ago, Alzheimer's, and. Uh, I like to choose to do things that I know are inevitable. You know, here we were in a 50-year-old house. Our sons were gone. Dan was getting tired. I was noticing the spotted cotton and the dirty walls. The cupboard door creaked. And, and Dan was noticing the tree in the front yard had grown and the roots had up cracked our sidewalk and the roof was getting... So we would sit and talk, and I said, you know, the time is going to come when we can't do these things. We're already getting tired of them. Why don't we make the decision before we have to? And so I always like to choose to, but I have a choice. <laughs> like recently I chose to quit driving. I love to drive, even on the California freeways. But four weeks ago, I, I pay attention to dreams interpret dreams 
And uh, everything to me that happens is terrible. And I see it, I can turn into a parable. So I gave up driving knowing that, well, in the senior community, I see people wait until they fall and break and spend six weeks in skilled nursing, then have the driver's license. Or they have an accident or they have a stroke. And I thought, I like to be ahead of the game. So I gave it up, learning how to manipulate or, uh, well, the senior community has a lot of provisions for non-drivers. So I'm doing well, but I prepared and the editor of the paper, my old classmate, and um, my purpose is if these 200 people moved here without to live with these, they didn't choose um, to weave them together in a tapestry. And that's why I do the paper. Mm -hmm. Little short stories that contain words that some other person here will see. Like, I didn't know you golfed. I didn't know you were it's burned, and then they find a connection. <laughs> what about person. your singing? You're, you, you're in a... Ukulele band. The, the ukulele, you play the ukulele, and how long have you been doing that? Well, about five years. <laughs> the idea came to, I used to play the guitar, and I traveled up all the country, leading retreats, even in Australia. And for 40 years, I carried my guitar in all of them. When we moved here, smaller quarters, I had to get rid of a lot of stuff. And I thought, well, my voice is getting raspy, and I, and I didn't feel I had singing. And I didn't know if I am singers here. I gave away my guitar. And somebody was talking about, we should start. We should play ukuleles. Well, we found five women of the ukulele. Well, they had never played it, but we talked the activities through into buying some. So a few years later, now we have gigs all over the place. We've got five ukulele players, three singers to sing along with us. They're so all getting older and raspy. And, um, We've got a tambourine player that plays sticks, and somebody that sign language. So it, it's funny that we, uh, we call ourselves the ukuladies. Ukuladies. <laughs> but between doing that and choosing songs and figuring out how to write the notes out and so forth, and being the editor of the monthly. Gives me something to do every morning. You know, I'm excited to get up. I have a checklist for every day, and if I don't get it all done that day, I'll do it the next day. But um, you know, I see people here who just feel like their kid off, and they don't have any purpose. Mm -hmm. And so, I like to get to know them better and help them find the the gym that's in there. Mm -hmm. You know, a question I 
use that on the retreats. Then too, what did you love to do when you were nine years Close your eyes, back in your life, about where you lived, what you did. What did you love to do? And then I bring them out of this little meditation. It's incredible. Woman, and I don't know these people that I'm leading if I go to Alabama, but a woman would say, well, little girl, I love my desk. And I would lay my little pencils on to describe. Her favorite thing was playing forever at her desk. What do you do now at age 54? I'm a teacher. <laughs> Another lady said, oh, there's a little, this little baby doll. I don't know. She's a nurse. And, and right down the line, we found that we know what her do. Mm -hmm. um, but the years that we went to school, uh, they weren't nearly as creative as they are now. But I liked to help rediscover mm -hmm. what got buried somehow. And yeah. <laughs> well, Bria, this has been delightful. And uh, is there anything else you would like to say before we need to draw the two of this to a close? I want to say that I've learned a lot about healing hidden hurts. I've when I meet somebody who's got a problem, I know that that's not the problem, it's the symptom. And so I've learned, I've offered classes on what I call inner healing or the healing of memories. Mm. To get to the root cause, change the life. And often I don't meet these people that are in their 50s or 60s. And I think of this, what they've missed, but they can recover it down so come alive when we get to the root cause and have God heal that deeper wound that we've covered over with bandits. Well, <laughs> you, you're just going to keep on going and giving, and it's a beautiful thing, Rhea. I'm so glad we got to meet you. Well, I'm glad to meet you, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. And listeners, we thank you for your loyalty. Because of you, our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas. And that's a good thing. Still, we need more subscribers and reviews on Apple Play and YouTube. Support women over 70 and let your voice be heard. Help us change the conversation about women aging.